0: which at the beginning in the retail world, I was like, Oh, cool. this sounds interesting. And then now that I'm in it, I was like, shit, man, this is amazing because everybody's going there and fighting and biting each other's head off for an apartment <laughs> from 1960 that's falling apart with crackheads, yeah. you know, and I'd rather go and go for, we're buying eight and a half, nine caps on stuff that has, you know, tenants that's trading the stock market. And I have a 10, 15 year lease with them. And a corporate guarantee if they go out of business. So why the hell am I gonna go and fight, you know, multi-family people? Don't get me wrong, multi-family is great, it makes sense, but you know, I don't wanna deal with that shit. I'm happy being the contrarian, as one of my partners here, Alan Schnur, says always, we're the contrarians.
1: Welcome to XN State. Where's the greatest opportunity in real estate today? That's what I need to know. We'll hear from industry leaders with boots in the ground and skin in the game. Who's winning? How are they winning? Stick around and we'll find out right here on XN State. Welcome back to another episode of XN State. This is your host, JCQ. For today's episode, we wanted to host someone with a different point of view. We hear a lot about the multifamily industry today and how well it has performed in the last decade. But I know I sometimes wonder if the multifamily market may be a little bit too hot at the moment. I think you'll be very interested to hear what our guest today has to say on the subject. Today, we welcome retail investor Andrew Kiefer. Andrew works at Great Partners, a company that owns 600,000 square feet of retail space, totaling $150 million in assets owned. Great Partners has a very specific strategy, and that is to focus solely on retail investments, particularly triple net commercial properties. Triple net is a commercial term that we use for properties in which the tenant, as opposed to the property owner, is responsible for paying property taxes, insurance, and maintenance costs, which generally means greater security in the lease and less volatility to the owner of the asset. Of course, we talk about this in much more detail during the interview. We also discuss Andrew's overall outlook in retail in the age of e-commerce. We talk about how Andrew got his start in retail while working a full-time corporate job at an oil and gas company. We talk about the strategies that great partners uses to capitalize on the current market conditions and much more. Andrew is also host of all spanish real estate investment podcast el cash flow cafe which i highly encourage you to check it out if you do start with episode 16 that is one fantastic episode thank you for tuning in without further ado here is today's interview with andrew kiefer andy how are you this morning it's a pleasure to have you on the show how are you doing
0: i'm really good man i appreciate the invites and uh very excited uh what you have going on and what the future brings but uh, thank you for having me I'm very, Special very honor I'm
1: very excited. we had lunch about what was it about two months ago and yeah. I learned a lot of very insightful things that I hope you can update us on everything that we talked about that day and just give us a little bit more background on it so why don't we begin by hearing a little bit about what are you're doing in in real estate today and what you've done that's led you to it
0: yeah man so Basically, I've been in Texas or Houston. That's how we know each other. Mm -hmm. I've been in Texas for about nine years. And since then, pretty much, I started mostly in oil and gas, made my way up there in that side of the business. And really always been kind of an entrepreneur on the side and started getting into real estate about, I would say about three years ago on the side. And Mm -hmm. my first exposure to real estate was You know, I, I've done stocks and different things like that, but my first exposure to real estate was, uh, one of those poppers of the things that come out on Facebook or the, the rich dad one. Mm -hmm. And the reason I jumped in right away, because as many of you, I'm not going to tell the same story. You know, that book just, I read it when I was 16 and it really changed my life. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I can tell anybody is reading the book for the first time, make sure you apply it from the get go because I, I I should have applied at the early age and I kind of like slept on it, and then I became another average guy, kind of getting to get, want to get a corporate job and all that shit, so but just to be
1: clear, you're talking about rich that poor dad
0: rich dad right? poor dad yes okay and uh so yeah, go back to the future i got I saw that seminar free seminar of course, you know there's all nothing free in this world, but'm um, sure was
1: I'm sure there was a lot of selling in that yeah seminar that you it, watched.
0: it was a it is a, it was a, it was a you know, full out pitch. So it was in Austin and I was uh, going for a meeting for my oil and gas job. And basically, you know, I went out and uh, got that for, it was like a, a day seminar at a hotel. And, and yeah, I mean, I really, I always knew about real estate. I understood a little bit of real estate, but never, never got the full gist of it. And then they were talking about, you know, basically wrap around mortgages and wholesaling, the whole concept mm-hmm. of wholesaling for me was new. I was like, man, that sounds very interesting. And then, you know, I got really excited and I definitely knew I didn't want to be, you know, corporate world forever. Mm -hmm. So this was, yeah, about three years ago. And so I was one of those guys that, you know, you need to take action blah, 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 blah. And the typical thing is like, okay, well, if you guys want to sign up for this, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I have nothing to lose. Let's check it out. So I went in the back of the room, typical sales pitch, which Mm -hmm. I was surprised because me being in the sales side of things, I mean, that was a complete like rookie move at all. Uh-huh. And yeah. And just uh, sign up for, you know, these are the free one and then they sell you for the weekend one and then the weekend one they sell you for the, you know, the, the membership and all this stuff and mm-hmm. then just uh, on and on after that. But the funny thing is, I did, I signed up for the the weekend, which was like 400 bucks something like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, Right away, like when I got here, I was thinking like, start reading the materials and all that. And I was like, mm, hold on. I might have pulled the trigger too quick on that. <laughs> and I started like, going into doing research. And then I wasn't hearing great reviews. And at the same time, I, then I realized like, you know what? And they only, like you have like four days to get your money back. Mm-hmm. And you have to follow a procedure like very strict. I'm like, yeah. So I made sure, no, no, hold on. Let's get my money back. And yeah, so. able really to get was it back. My, Yeah, I did. But I, I had to literally like scrape it. Yeah, because a lot of times they don't make it I easy. Told, no. Now, when I told my spouse that, she's like, yeah, she wanted to throw that book in my head and be <laughs> crazy. So, so yeah, that's that's really how I got started. But at least I did gain a lot of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you give me. Yeah. So, from there, I just like, okay. And then I found out bigger pockets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I just, once I get, you know, zoned into something, I go like, you know, just hardcore and try and learn as much as I could. And I started going to the RIAs here in Houston. Uh, what, is, what is a RIA? So the RIA is a real estate investing association, okay. investment association. Like a meetup, weekday yes. meetup. Yeah, that or- mm-hmm. so they just talk about real estate. And I started going to the ones here in Houston on the side and Austin as well. Mm-hmm. Cool thing about my corporate job that I had is that I was always on the road. So it mm-hmm. gave me options when I was in Austin and in Dallas and all that, kind of like go to different meetups there. So yeah, start doing that and developed from wholesaling. I started getting into wholesaling. Then I met a few friends that then got me into, you know, commercial multifamily wholesaling. And then I started, got into the basically the capital raising of multifamily mm-hmm. and then kind of like full circle, the guy, my buddy that got me into real estate, Cole Popper, then his mentor kind of came around and I had an opportunity to work with him along him and He's in the triple net lease or retail side of commercial real estate. So so yeah, I developed from rich dad, poor dad, you know, rookie seminar to just the focus has been mostly on building those relationships and going to as many meetups and stuff like that and finding the genuine people, mm-hmm. syndications, you know, and finding what is the niche that you like because there's so many from single family to development like you are to, you know self storage retail. So there are a lot of things out there, but you just have to find what, what, what makes sense to you.
1: So for after you went to, to the seminar, I mean, to this pitch and you decided not to go to the weekend seminar, what was, how did you get involved actually doing real estate other than, than the RIAs then attending meetups? What was your first involvement?
0: So I would say that the first thing I did when I started associating myself with better people, Mm-hmm. somebody that was just trying to sign me up for some $50,000 training program or some stuff like that was, okay, if I'm going to get into with the big dogs, what do I bring to the table? What's mm-hmm. the value I can create the the key? And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, I'm a big spoker. I mean, you know, the supporter of the fact that bring value, mm-hmm. you know, bring something to the table before you start asking for something in return. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I said, what can I bring to these guys that are successful? They have everything. They're doing great in real estate and life and money and all that. Like, what can I do to create something for them? And, you know, one of my perks was, you know, I, I'm originally from Argentina. I speak, you know, Spanish is my first language. So how I got into in wholesaling was my buddy that he was basically wholesaling houses in Eastwood. So, you know, the other side of the uh, University of Houston, it's a big Hispanic community. So, you know, I said, I can get you those people. Like Mm -hmm. I understand the culture. I'm really good with people. I, uh, that's what I I always did business development and stuff like that. So I understand the human nature of it Mm -hmm. for business, but eventually it just got, I transitioned very quickly into the multifamily side of wholesaling because wholesaling houses, although yeah, you get a a few grand here, a few grand there, whatever. It's, it's more of an emotional transaction, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, you're talking to the owners, and the owners are like, "Yeah, but my grandfather and my great grandfather, and I have my kid here, and my pet died there in the backyard, and all this, you know, stuff." That is just a lot of emotional attachment. So the process of of making that sell or getting them convinced is much longer. Like to the point, like we offered them tickets to go while we did an inspection to for them to go with the kids to a water park or something like that. I mean, to that level of you know just determination. And yeah. then eventually, like, hold on. The payout for commercial is 10 times bigger. It's all about the numbers. There's a little bit more work of tracking down the owners. But yeah, I, I said, that makes more sense. So I started going after the big fish and with different strategies, which I'm sure some of your listeners know, you know, whether it's marketing about email, about mail, you know, sending letters, cold calling. For me, it's always worked better to do the cold calling because I'm good at it. I feel comfortable mm-hmm. with it. Some th- don't. This
1: is still for the, while well, you were doing wholesaling,
0: right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Can, can you, before we go into that, can you tell us a little bit about what wholesaling is for those of us that, yeah. don't, that don't know?
0: So basically wholesaling, what you're doing is you're exercising the right, you know, of a contract on a property. So pretty much you have the owner of, let's say a house or, you know, commercial property. And you create a contract with them where basically you are, you know, having the right to buy the property, mm-hmm. either you or somebody clearly you're not the one executing the you know the purchase so you're basically if you're the middleman you're finding the the seller a motivated seller somebody wants to sell off-market this is not through a broker off-market and then you find somebody wants to buy it and then you pretty much put them together and you get you know a fee a referral fee a you know there's, there's people call it different things mm-hmm. so you are kind of like a broker but for the, the seller, I mean, from the buyer, you're getting them a, kind of an off-market deal. It's not, no everybody's chasing mm-hmm. after it, stuff like that. And then from the seller, they don't have to deal with the whole, like, you know, they come and do the inspections, come and check it out. You no, know, it's cash offer right there. Same as houses, but a different higher level. Mm-hmm. So you're basically getting a, a piece, just a commission. For We're doing are, all, the,
1: all the work and the hustle to find the opportunity. Yeah,
0: yeah. And normally, you know, the buyers for wholesaling, yeah, those guys are, you know, they have the cash in line. Exactly. Or you know they have the financing ready to execute,
1: and they're the ones who end up taking the risk, who end up purchasing the property. Um, yeah. they're probably going to end up getting more upside at the end, but they're the ones taking the risk. You're basically flipping the contract and earning a yeah.
0: Basically, commi- those are those are the investors. So yeah. actually, so wholesaling is not really imbe- doing real estate investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, wholesaling is still a job. It's like flipping, but there's not much you know hammering and and pulling out nails and shit like that. So it's I mean, you're basically you're brokering a deal, right? But you're not legally brokering it because you need to obviously have you know a license for that so you're just saving the seller or having to go through the whole process of listing the property through a commercial broker and you're saving the buyer having to fight you know a listing with other and paying a much higher price so they buy it at a very heavily discounted price and then they mm-hmm. work it or fix it or whatever and they either play the holding part or they flip it and sell it same as a house.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you were you began wholesaling homes, and then you shifted to multifamily, and then where did you transition from there?
0: Yeah, so I, I mean, I transitioned very quickly out of homes to multifamily. Again, just that the numbers—you know—you can make a few thousand with single-family, and then I mean, the payouts in multifamily or commercial real estate in general are much higher. But let there be some uh, reasoning to your listeners. I mean. Wholesaling is not everybody's game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a lot of patience, a lot of hustle. You really need to know, especially in commercial, you really, especially multifamily. Multifamily is very, very, very populated right now. Everybody's chasing mm-hmm. multifamily. There's, that's why cap rates and all that stuff are low right now. But you're going to be fighting a lot of people for the same deal.
1: Mm-hmm. And so you're going to be quick. You, you're going to know your stuff in, or, in order to act quickly.
0: Yeah. And you, I mean, it's, it's not, yeah, it's just also a, a thing of luck. I mean, eventually it's a numbers game. You know, mm-hmm. you'll, to get, you know, the same as people that send letters and stuff like that to owners. I mean, I have a lot of friends that are owners, you know, and they, they're they on the other side now and they're getting letters and calls like, hey, would you be interested in selling? And right now it's a seller's market. So, unfortunately, some inexperienced people are paying ridiculous money for stuff that, you know, they're going to end up losing a lot of money.
1: Because everything's gone up in value for the last 10 years, pretty much, oh, yeah. right?
0: I mean, when do you jump in your car and turn on the radio, you don't see somebody selling some real estate course now versus 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Nobody was talking about real estate 10 years ago because yeah. after the crash and everybody was scared.
1: And especially multifamily. Multifamily yeah. is where everybody seems to be diving into. Yeah. Which is so why, why it's led- very interesting that your focus now is you're one of the few people who aren't talking about multifamily and are talking about
0: retail. That is correct. So let me run you real quick what the concept of investing in multifamily or commercial real estate is everybody knows houses, you know, some people buy a discount you flip it, you sell it, or some people buy it to hold and rent, you know, kind of like the burr method and stuff like that, that mm-hmm. you know, in bigger pockets they so speak at the end of the day, like flipping is another job because you're paying, you don't get a lot of the benefits, the tax benefits that you do when you actually own the property. Right? So in commercial, You basically are using economies of scale because when you buy one house, you buy three houses, you buy four houses, you have to do one, three, four, five closings. You have to want one, two, three, four, five loans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? The whole point that makes a lot of sense with multifamily is that one roof, not 50 roofs, like a 50 unit apartment is, you know, one roof, not 50 roofs, you know, one property manager, you don't have to manage all 50 properties etc. et cetera. So that's the only way you start scaling. And that's why commercial real estate makes a lot of sense for that reason. But number one is single family, the value of the property is based out of the comps of, you know, similar properties in the neighborhood and what the market is doing. The cool thing about commercial is that if you buy right, which obviously you heard the term you you make money when you buy, Mm -hmm. is the properties in commercial are income producing assets they produce income. So the valuation is based out of the money they produce, which is the net operating income versus a house. The value is based on, you know, if you have a nicer house, two blocks away at the same size, and then, and that's what happened, you know, when the, when the economy collapses, commercial real estate, especially some more than others within the commercial realm have are more, more calling, you know, resistant to any sort of downturn in the, in the economy. Mm -hmm. As long, again, as long as you know, you know your numbers and you buy at the right time. So anyways, going back to your question, retail, the cool thing about retail is, let me say something there. A lot of people are scared of retail because everybody's saying, well, everything is being bought, you know, online, everybody, nobody goes shopping anymore, stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people of are, are
1: scared of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. retail and real estate is, is kind of right now like a scary word. Like It's a topic that people seem to want to avoid just because there's seemingly a lot of uncertainty to what's going to happen. We hear the headlines that a lot of big stores are closing down and e-commerce is taking over. But yeah, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about what's your take on all of this.
0: No, so I was one of those guys because a lot of people say, "Why, why go and fight crowds? and I can just order online. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's one reality to it. The numbers don't lie. I mean, right now I think it's about nine or 10% of all retail shopping is done online, not even a quarter of it. So realistically, yes, it has grown exponentially, but the key is there are certain things that as humans, our computer, at least for now, and I know technology evolves every day, you know, you still need to do yourself. I mean, go and get your coffee, go and do your dry clean, stuff like that. Yeah, they can do it. They can come and pick up dry cleaners and stuff like that. But what we try to focus on is tenants or, you know, stores that actually are more internet resistant. So what's really hot right now in the retail market is gyms, obviously, groceries. It's always a really good thing. Yes. You know, they're trying to figure out how to do, you know, deliveries of products and stuff like that because the the whole factor of freshness, you know, It's not the same as, you know, you going yourself and picking up your own avocados or your bananas or stuff like that. Amazon is playing that game, you know, with Amazon Fresh, but it's only offered in certain cities, more in like, you know, big cities like Denver, actually in Houston, they have it, but only in downtown and Houston is not the place where normally everybody lives downtown. So the point being is the cool thing about retail, let me clarify something. A lot of people see, oh, Toys R Us closed, went bankrupt, Walgreens closed some stores. You go to the malls, a lot of the malls, the Sears and all that are just shutting down. That's not the retail that we do. We do, you know, mixed strip centers, you know, retail centers, but we focus on triple net, triple net leases. So yes, you'll see empty malls and all that, Where ours are normally where you have a TJ Maxx, where you have, you know, Starbucks, you have Burger King, you have your typical dry cleaners, your Krispy Kreme donuts, everything within an, It's an open, obviously open shopping center right? With uh, a good amount of parking space. So we do mixed tenant base. We don't do single triple net. So basically single tenant. The same way I wouldn't do single tenant, you know, single family Mm -hmm. versus multifamily because you're diversifying your risk, right?
1: Diversifying your risk and also creating certain economies of scale in a larger transaction than if Mm -hmm. you were doing single tenant transactions.
0: I mean, a lot of people have done very well with like single tenant, like buying a Walgreens, buying a Starbucks, buying a Popeye's buying a, you know, just a standalone tenant, mm-hmm. which normally those obviously go for a much lower cap rate. So, you know, there's no much value add on that. So what we do, we buy nothing less than about a hundred thousand square feet and always a mixed amount of tenants, but there's key elements on that, which are, there's always an anchor tenant. So the anchor tenant is like the big box within the strip center, which normally it could be, uh, you know, a supermarket like a Kroger's or a HEB or whatever, and then you have, or like a big gym or stuff like that, something that is the main driver of the traffic into the place, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have some regional ones, and then we have some mom and pops. So it's all a mix. So, you know, and when we buy them, the biggest thing is, you know, you we always buy with some vacancy, like the same you would do with multifamily because we want a little bit of upside, right? Mm-hmm. And always we make sure that we buy below market rents. And also the biggest you're thing- You're looking for
1: value-add opportunities.
0: Yes. We don't buy full occupancy because we like to, and we don't buy in complete ghetto areas either,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but we like to make sure that we're bringing better tenants to drive more traffic. You have right? a
1: sweet spot. You're not, yeah. you're not going to buy a completely vacant strip center that no, you can just
0: I mean, completely I personally, remodel. I uh-huh. personally, I'm more inclined to that because I'll have more fire in me. Uh-huh. But my, the two partners I have that I work with They've been in the, in the business combined for 40, 50 years. And they're more in their 50s. So they're more like a, they've done very well for themselves and they just like the cash flow. Cash uh-huh. flow is a game. Yeah. Everything well, else is a bonus.
1: Well, we skipped a little bit there. We went from your wholesaling multifamily experience directly to talking into retail. But how did that come about? How did you make that transition? How did you meet the two partners that you're working so, with So
0: basically it was the one of the partners... He was a mentor of the guy that got me into real estate. Mm-hmm. So I, I have read his books and everything. So I knew about him. And then when the opportunity came last year to kind of help him out, grow the business. I mean, they do. They've done multifamily. They've done single family. They've done every single store of real estate. But now the last two years, they've been focusing on just triple net shopping centers. So I said, sure, I'll, you know, I'll, and at the same time, I was still doing my full time job in oil and gas. And mm-hmm. basically, from there, I just evolved. Like sure. And I was one of the skeptic guys. And then I got into the the triple net world, which at the beginning and the retail world, I was like, oh, cool. It sounds interesting. And then now that I'm in it, I was like, shit, man, this is amazing. Because everybody's going there and fighting and biting each other's head off for an apartment (laughs) from 1960 that's falling apart with crackheads, you know, and I'd rather go and go for, we're buying eight and a half, nine caps on stuff that has, you know, uh, tenants trade trading the stock market and I have a 10, 15 year lease with them and a corporate guarantee if they go out of business. So why the hell am I going to go and fight, you know, multifamily people? Don't get me wrong. Multifamily is great. It makes sense, but you know, I don't want to deal with that shit. I'm happy being the contrarian as mm-hmm. one of my partners here, Alan Schner says always, oh, we're the contrarians. And then eventually everybody's going to be like, fuck, you know, multifamily is not working actually, well, retail looks pretty impressive. Let's go after that. You're we're not, already... not gonna
1: shift from retail to multifamily just because of some headlines that you're looking at or some trends when the reality that you're saying is that the market's doing well, right?
0: The market is doing great. I mean, but again, it all comes to, there's risk in everything, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about triple net that I still haven't explained is, so a triple, what a triple net lease is, the tenant pays for the insurance, they pay for the taxes, and they pay for the maintenance, meaning just to underwrite the, the deals is much less of a headache than underwriting multifamily. And I'm not trying to bash multifamily, but one of like the biggest ticket items in multifamily is the taxes, mm-hmm. you know, and the taxes are a killer in your deal. And a lot of people here get ahead of themselves and they not conservatively underwrite correctly with the taxes and down the road. And you know how taxes are, you know, with the, the, the real estate going up you know, appreciation on taxes and all that is going to skyrocket. And then, you know what, when you pass that down to your tenant in, in an apartment, they're like, you know what, I can't afford to live here. I'm out. Okay, cool. In retail, when you have a, I'm not say Starbucks, but let's say, I don't know, some regional, uh, you know, like an ER place, which is another hot item in retail, the ER places that are popping up everywhere, like they start having to go to a hospital. After they invest all that money to to open up there, even a rest of them, they're like, oh, the taxes are too high. I'm going to move somewhere else. They don't just pick up and leave because there's a lot of money invested in, right? So at the end of the day, the taxes go up. It's not our fault. It's not on us, it's on them. It's And the cool thing about it is there's transparency. Even for our investors, our investors know, you know, oh, it's a Starbucks or this is, you know, Burger King. They know how they're doing because they can see it on the stock market. So that's pretty cool, you know, when it comes to, flow and all that there's a lot of transparency and a little bit less of uncertainty again it's not perfect there's risks like everything else but those three things you don't have to worry about it and the cool thing about it any a lot of times the improvements they do on the property themselves putting in a new ac or stuff like that or a new system a kitchen or uh, whatever and then after the lease is done it's called a ground lease we own it yeah or they have to tear it down and they don't they just leave so they just, improve or the property it anchors for us. them
1: to the property and it makes them not want to leave.
0: Exactly. So, but normally like, and the cool thing about another thing about triple net is you do, you know, the average is five, seven year leases, right? So you have some certainty going forward. Again, doesn't mean that the store can't go out of business or something like that. There is risk. But when it's a national anchor tenant or national company or something, normally it's a corporate guarantee. So it could go dark, what we call in is go dark. You know, when a Toys R Us goes dark or a Walmart goes dark or whatever, they're still paying for rent or they pay the remaining of the lease, which is cool because the company didn't go bankrupt. That just that location didn't work out or they're just found a better location and they move and they still pay for rent. So that's a cool thing. Or, and if you have a mom and pop, normally they do a personal guarantee. So if they go completely shit out of luck, you know, you can go after their assets, which not what you want to do. You want to help them out. But I just see there's there's better options than having to deal with your regular family, you average welder or whoever affordable housing and all that stuff. Which get, don't get me wrong, it's still a great business, but man, I'm gonna go and fish in a much bigger pond and just lay back and drink my margarita, then let them just go and find in a little tiny pond for a six percent cap rate.
1: And do you think the reason why you're seeing such an open market in retail right now? Is essentially because of the headlines and the e-commerce and the macro tendencies of what's going on with, with retail, or are there some other reasons for it?
0: No, that's that's a good part of it. But then there's not really like an official, that much training on how to do retail and anything you read. Like when I first started getting into retail, I was like, okay, yeah, this all sounds great, but what is really the bad part of it? Because there's always a bad side to it, right? and I researched, and I researched, and realistically, there are risks, but they're not like anything specific. The only bad thing says, oh, if you lose your tenant, like if you buy Walgreens, and the tenant goes away, or whatever, and you you don't have a tenant, the releasing cost in retail is pretty high. I mean, that's, you know, the same as when you do a, you know, a turnover in, in multifamily. Yeah, you're losing that rent. But if you have a single tenant that is Walgreens, and then you have to bring a Okay, what can replace a Walgreens? You know, a Rite Aid or CVS or whatever the hell. You know, it's not that easy. You're going to spend a lot of money having to, to fill it in. But we don't do single tenants. We always do multi-tenants, 100,000 square feet. We totally have right now five properties in Texas. Okay. About 700,000 square feet total with, I would say, close to $100 million in the last 18 months. Or two years. Yeah, two years. Those properties are bought four in Houston, Pasadena, one in College Station. And then we just closed on a deal in Gilbert, basically Phoenix, Arizona. So we're expanding into Arizona. That would uh, be
1: your, your sixth property?
0: That will be our sixth, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What's the name of, of your company?
0: Great Partners. So okay. GR8 Partners.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just so that everybody knows what we're talking about. Great Partners. And that's a, a partnership between you and two partners. Yeah. Right? So, I
0: mean, they started the company and they kind of brought me in to help all the back end and, you know, just organization, uh, help with acquisitions. And at the same time, and you, you know, speak I'm- Spanish,
1: as, as you mentioned before. I thought it was very interesting that you were, when you just started, were starting into real estate, you didn't have a lot, pretty much any experience and you're trying to find ways in which you added value and sometimes it can be as simple something as simple as that can get your foot in the door like you don't speak spanish i speak spanish there's a lot of people, hispanics in houston and that's the value that, that you bring in and once you're in then you can build a relationship show and then you can actually just demonstrate what you can do how much you're willing to work and, and then yep. i mean you're already on your way once you're in
0: no and i mean that that created the, the idea of doing a cash flow cafe with which we had you as a guest. I mean, we yeah. just, I find the minority of being the largest minority Hispanic. I mean, they said like, well, there's not really anything out there other than how to flip houses and how to do rentals. I was like, screw it. I mean, let's make something happen. And, and that's how it became. And yeah, slowly but surely growing and trying to teach the Hispanic people or people that speak Spanish outside of the U S Opportunities in commercial real estate and other, you know, other assets.
1: Yeah, that's uh, the Cash Flow Cafe. It's a podcast. that's on all the streaming devices, and it's a, as you're mentioning, a a great way for people who don't speak English to get knowledgeable in real estate in the U.S. in general. I highly recommend it. So, is there a a particular reason why you're now expanding into Arizona? Is there a reason why you're leaving Texas?
0: To be honest, there's not a specific reason. I mean, we're working on some deals here in Texas as well. But I mean, we're trying to grow as fast and as smart as we can before people start catching up on the deals. I mean, even in retail, it's not easy to find a deal. But of course, you know, when you, you don't hear, if you're talking about multifamily or a few other assets, you know, the deal in Arizona, we're buying on 8.9% cap rates on actuals. If you find that in multifamily today, you know, there must be a few dead bodies in some <laughs> other rooms. Nobody's going to sell you 89 unless it's like, the ghetto class D minus stuff. I mean, at least in the places where we live, you know, Houston, forget DFW. I mean, and and I just looking at like the, you know, the, the waterfalls, basically what how syndications go for investors. And I'm looking at, you know, as a sponsor, which is basically that syndicator, you even have to give more away on your splits to try to make anything of return interesting for the investor. Versus with us, I mean, our splits are like, 60 40 when uh, in a lot of the multifamily is 80 20 and people are yeah. saying 60 40 damn man you guys are greedy i'm like hey we're still getting you know you're still providing an attractive
1: enough return to the investor yeah
0: we always go no less than eight percent you know RRR, you know sorry cash from cash you no know, things of that sort so i mean the cool thing about it is that our properties we buy we start paying out dividends in the first quarter like they're already cash flowing you're not okay. holding your money for 18 months and hope, you know, we do a good job and, you know, tariffs with China don't go up while we're building, you know, new rehabs. And then like, oh, shit, sorry, we couldn't make the returns we expected. You know, there's more transparency, as I say with the investor. And I think it, it hits some people more like, oh, man, that makes a lot of sense. So, but yeah, there's still risk. There's still property management. There's still, you know, like we have, I'll give you an example. We have a C's Pizza, right? one of our locations in Pasadena and it's, it's, you know, a standard. So you have the strip centers and normally, you know, when you see those standalone, like a drive-through where there's a Popeye's or something within your parking lot. So we have one that is a CC's there and they're supposed to give us, you know, yeah, the other, uh, the lease was coming to an end. They were supposed to extend it and they were supposed to give us a heads up, you know, on that stuff. And they just suddenly picked up in December and they gave us a late notice so now we're, you know, we have our lawyer going after them because suddenly we didn't expect to lose, you know, nine thousand dollars of rent, you know, starting in 2020. So those are the challenges we have. You know, being transparent is, you know, with investors like, hey, we might hold a little bit on the cash flow distributions because we're going to use it for tenant improvement to make it nicer, where it can bring a better tenant to pay a higher rent. And trust me, at the end of the day, you're going to be making money. But it's just about being able to communicate and keep the investors in the loop. There's no point of lying.
1: Of course. So. And and those are things that you expect and that that you contemplate since running your numbers, right? You're going to have some turnover.
0: Yeah. You're yeah. going to have some mm-hmm.
1: surprises. So yeah,
2: you, you leave but some room the, but the for key,
0: that. I mean, the key with, with retail, when you buy, you know, in multi-tenants, like in multifamily, you know, you look at certain metrics. The metrics for retail, at least that we focus on, is you want to have good, Vehicle counts because exposure of your retail centers, access is, is key. So, like 50,000, we go for not less than 50,000. Obviously, the same metrics household income, we don't go for less than 50, 60 grand. You know, employment rates, stuff that like you look at any more, a commercial. But one thing is you want to look at the leases. The same as you do multifamily, maybe, but here is very important because they are five, seven, 15 year leases. Like we have one that's a Planet Fitness brand new. We bought it in September as the anchor tenant and they have a 15 year lease, which is awesome.
1: 15 or 15?
0: 15, one five.
1: 15, okay. Mm -hmm. So So
0: you wanna make sure if you're gonna do your five year or 10 year hold period, right? You wanna make sure that you know, okay, when are the leases expiring and and normally they have what's called options, like option one, two and three, where they can do, okay, another five years for this rent. And now the cool thing about it is how you make money retail. One, we do obviously we fill in the vacancies. Two, we raise rents. It's not like they're locked in a rent because they have a 10-year lease. You can raise from 1% to 3% every month, every year, sorry. So you make money there. Three, the cool thing about it is that you know, we buy the retail centers that have what's called out parcels. So in the parking lot where you can build that Krispy Kreme or that you know, Starbucks drive-thru or whatever, we buy one that has that available to build. So then we have that extra parking lot that's not producing any income. Suddenly we create out of ten thousand or five thousand square feet, boom, we just increase the NOI, you know, the net operating income for a few thousand dollars of, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year, turn it into, you know, with the cap rate we're doing it, boom, we just value the come, you know, the, the, the property of the, the value of the property much bigger. That's the third way of making money. And the fourth one, which is what we're doing now, which I'm sure you're aware of, financing is so affordable. You know, so you have, you know, IO, interest only commercial loans. So the cool thing about it is, for example, in Arizona, we're buying at an 8.9 cap rates and our financing is about five years IO, interest only for 3.75. So between wow. 8.9 and 3.75, look at that spread, right? We're only paying interest. So look at that spread. We don't do shit. We just maintain what it has for five years at least. We're just making increasing the cash flow for our investors just from the spread. We don't have to do wow. shit. We don't have to raise rents. We don't have to fill in. We if we keep the same vacancies, we're making the money just of the spread we're doing because we're getting very cheap money, and you know the capitalization rate of the property is almost you know 400 basis points above. So just that there, that's another strategy that before you couldn't do now mm-hmm. financing is affordable. So you have to take advantage of that. And we always we always do a 10 year, you know, financing, 10 year lease, meaning 10 year hold. Because mm-hmm. we don't know what the market is going to do. So we're mm-hmm. covered for at least, you know, one of our properties 10 years I interest only. Another one is five years interest only. We try to get as much interest only as we can, but mm-hmm. we don't know do normally less than 10 years because we you don't know what the market is going to do.
1: Yeah. And you don't our, want to be forced to sell. Yeah, you it. don't exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That was four points, right? That you. So one
0: is you fill in the vacancies. Two, you raise the rents. Three, you buy properties that have out parcels or pad sites where you Mm -hmm. can build ground to lease. What a ground to lease is pretty much, I'll give you an example. In College Station, we got a Krispy Kreme donuts that came in and built a brand new building, you know, in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And basically, because of that, a ground lease, meaning they pay for it. We throw some incentives, but they build the whole thing. To their standards, and we increase the value of the property to one point two million dollars in three months. Wow! Just from them, I wow. mean, it's crazy. So, and when they leave, guess what? They just left, the, uh, you know, eight thousand or ten thousand square feet for us to lease. We don't have to put, you know, much of it. So,
1: for how long is, is their lease?
0: 10 years, I believe. 15 years. years. 15.
1: 15. Years. Yeah, it makes, yeah, 10, makes more sense if they're investing yeah. that much into the property. So, how, how are you finding these new opportunities that you're diving into?
0: Mostly broker relations. And another way, I mean, we, we find some, every once in a while, we do some off market stuff, but mostly it's broker relations.
1: Okay. I mean, so you're just have again, I mean, we're not, all around sending you stuff that you look at.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get a lot of. I mean, I'm on, it's called Crexy, Crexy or Loopnet or whatever. You can see that, but I, you establish those relationships and, you know, mm-hmm. normally they start coming. So it's you know, not chasing, you know, the shiny object, meaning we have a specific strategy of where we want to grow. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you know, we have Texas, we have Arizona. I'm just doing growing in Colorado. I mean, my partners have done stuff in other states, mm-hmm. but the size of what we're trying to do, you know, it's much bigger. So
1: how fast do you have to move Um Do these brokers send you properties that as soon as they're listed on the market
0: or someone no, else, someone no, some, like there's an opportunity in Houston that that's not officially listed. It was listed a few years ago, mm-hmm. but clearly never sold. So, you know, it applies in anything in real estate, you know, you, you always want to make sure, you know, keep checking because even if, oh it's on the contract, somebody else that might not got through, maybe they're going, they don't get the financing. Something goes wrong with the, you know, in the 90 days, you know, the inspection, whatever it is, something might go wrong and go south. Like, hey man, you still want to buy this property? Yeah, you offered, I don't know, fifty million? I oh, don't know, I'll offer you twelve now. Mm-hmm. Or some shit like that. So it's constantly having, you know, being with those relationships. Like last week I was at the ICSC, which is the largest like retail mm-hmm. conference, and that's where all the brokers go. That's where all the tenants go. Like you'll see a lot of the uh, you know. The buffalo wings and wild wings, or, or like all the different stores, storefronts, they they bring reps there. The last day they do like a whole line of you know you have from AutoZone to 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 to, to like all all the different tenants,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you go there and you know you're a landlord. You go, like, okay, what are you guys looking for? Oh, we're looking this 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 area in the U.S. This square footage, this uh, vehicle count. Well, okay, you know this is what I have. Check it out. Okay, send it to me. Boom. Okay. And then you, you get a tenant that way. So way do, you get
1: a, a feel for the demand. And that, yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Another thing what you can do, which is another cool business is instead of you having a, a center, you find out if you want to like do something underground for people, the beginners, mm-hmm. if you get the contact from, let's say, you know, McDonald's, I'm giving a very simple, maybe not the best example, but I don't know, Krispy Kreme donuts or Dunkin donuts. You talk to them like, yeah, we need, we're looking for this in this area. Oh, what square footage? Boom, 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 boom. Perfect. Then you can go and start finding. Exactly. Yourself.
1: exactly. You want to find no, that, you if you find that yeah. deal,
0: then here you go. You put it on the contract, kind of like wholesaling, like, hey Duncan, uh-huh. here you go. Like, now oh, you're boom, acting perfect. a little bit as
1: a, as a broker, right? But you're willing to purchase a property and now like you, you already you a have an excellent feel yeah. for the demand and you know how you're going to feel it. Yeah. How you're going to feel the it.
0: Key there, the key there is to have the contacts within the big corporations. Mm-hmm. And like this event, you would find those contacts. Normally in retail, you want to have a leasing agent, which is a strategic partner or normally in-house. So basically a leasing agent is the one that takes care of finding the tenants for you, the same as a multifamily, but getting a family to rent an apartment is very different from getting Starbucks to come into your property. Exactly.
1: You know? that, that, that strategy is probably unique to retail, right? Because you cannot do it yeah, with it's multifamily only tenants. Mm-hmm. You probably and can't majority, do it with yeah. office tenants either.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in office, the same way, but... I mean, normally the lease agents normally are brokers as well. They kind of like, because normally lease agents gets a percentage. Let's mm-hmm. say if you sign a 10 year lease for Starbucks that does, I don't know, $150,000 a year. So he's going to get for a 10 year lease. He's going to get depending on, you know, it is between one to 4% of that total contract
2: mm-hmm.
0: as a, you know, so let's say it's a hundred thousand a year. It has a million dollars. he will get one, two, 3% of that. He gets paid for basically get him in the door getting the contract put together, boom, done. And you can do that yourself. So that's another way of making money. You find the property they need and you bring it to them and they'll pay you. You can make some good money there. So I'm I'm looking, look, I I don't know if you're going to show, but I have have a bunch of contacts of all this stuff. So you have Crunch Fitness. uh, Mm -hmm. I have all this different, uh, for example, this is a dental company that's Mm -hmm. telling me where they need to be you know, I have all the contacts for Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, all the guys that yeah. are the regional manager, I just call them, hey man, this is what I got, send me the thing, do, 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 You know what, I just saved our company paying whatever percentage to our lease agent and we can do it ourselves and I can make a little bit extra money, so.
1: Yeah, and, and also you have the certainty because the the biggest risk when looking for properties to buy is, is it going to rent? but this way you are already know that there's a demand for it that's an, an amazing strategy
0: no you're i'm not saying it's that easy right of course the, the, the hardest part is to get in the door or talk to the right person within you know the corporation and that's why this i uh, go into this type of events that i went which is the largest one there's one in Ve- the biggest one is in vegas in may that's mm-hmm. where they those guys that are the decision makers they come there you create that relationship and you, you bug the shit out of them Tell them, hey, I have this, I have that, send it to me, boom, boom, boom. So,
2: yeah.
1: A few minutes ago, you mentioned the key information and demographics that you look for in terms of um, household income, in terms of traffic count. How do you get that information?
0: Normally, I mean, is it through broker or do you have a software that you use? Yeah, we we do it from broker, but if not, you can use different sites and you can find that information online and obviously tour the area. Mm-hmm. But what, one thing we did, at least on most of our properties in Houston, we found a niche that we do, which is the Hispanic markets. Okay. Because we believe a lot of the Hispanic markets are more touchy feely type of people. They will always go to, so we have DDs, we have mm, the yeah. big discount you know, and, stores for clothing.
1: That market's probably going to lag a little bit behind in terms of uh, adapting to e-commerce, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all have phones but they're still going to go and shop a Dollar General. So we have a lot of Dollar Generals within our shopping centers. I mean, you cannot have not have a Dollar General, a Dollar Store, or a Green Dollar, whatever all the other ones are. Because those. the good thing about those is that they do well in a shitty economy and they do well in a good economy. And they do well whether you're in the countryside or whether you're in the city, whether you're in an expensive neighborhood, because you'll still see people that have money will go to buy a, you know, I need balloons for my kid's birthday the other day. And I buy it for a buck versus four bucks at yeah, Party City, you know, shit like that. So they're very, very useful.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Let me ask you, and in terms of what you're, everything that you're involved in, everything that you're seeing and hearing around the market, where do you see the biggest opportunities in in the market in the next ten to fifteen years in terms of location and in terms of product, from your opinion, from what what you're seeing?
0: I mean, uh, what I've I've seen a lot is, I mean, obviously I've, I haven't been long enough to to say that, but I mean, my background is in economics and all that. So I love mm-hmm. research. I love looking at, you know, what the, the, I always read the reports I get from like the national real estate, you know, whatever, all the different magazines. I definitely, at least in what we do, or even in real estate, we're all mixed use. Is definitely a much even better way to diversify your risk. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of my friends that do multifamily syndication. Now they're doing like mixed use development because they said it costs me the same to do that, you know, for the cost of building something new than buying something that is old. So I think mixed use where you can find, especially with the younger generations, millennials and stuff like that, where you can have, you know, apartments with a little cell storage, maybe some office and a little bit of retail mm-hmm. mixed in, in that area that has good density, like, you know, places growing in Katy or the woodlands or stuff like that. I think there's a lot of uh, opportunities there, but if you're going to do retail, make sure that, you know, the the key word is internet resistant. So Mm -hmm. you want to think how well can this, you know, people are still going to still come to your stores. So you can see where the market is going. Yeah. Amazon is the enemy per se of retail Mm -hmm. of brick and mortar, but it's not because Amazon, that's the whole point. They bought whole foods. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're doing, there's a hybrid idea, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, what's it called? The, the glasses store, uh, Parker, uh, Orby Parker, Orby Parker, they were online and they went brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of examples of companies that were founded online and they go brick and mortar because you still need to do exchanges. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Amazon is amazing. The fact that you can just, oh, this shit doesn't work. Boom. Take it to a UPS store and you don't even have to pay Mm -hmm. for shit and it goes away. Right. But, Just we're still humans, we still need certain things that are not going to go away. Of course, so going forward, I think is at least in retail, in retail a... is, you have to create experiences for the consumer.
2: Mm-hmm. That's why, mm-hmm.
0: like Whole Foods, has they're adding yoga to their locations, something that creates more than just in and out, right? Mm-hmm. So, that experiential retail is where retail is going, right? Mm-hmm. Because why would I drive to this place? Oh, because of I can course. get my coffee and I can get my dry cleaners, and I can do my orange theory, and then Mm -hmm. I can take my smoothie, right? Yeah,
1: more more than the end of brick and mortar mortar retail, what what we're going through is an evolution, right? Mm -hmm. Consumers are changing uh, in their behavior and how we, the things that we want to experience and what we want to buy. But at the end of the day, we still need to figure out what to do with our time and with our bodies throughout the day. We don't want to be at home. We need things to do. We want to go out, we want to meet people. And that's never going to change.
0: No, it, it, it's not. I mean, it, the creativity out there is amazing. Where there's a place to eat, where there's a place to hang out. And I mean, it's just, it's interesting where it's going. And I mean, yeah, we, the recession is coming. Everybody talks about the recession, the downturn is going to come. I mean, just the fact, everything that goes up has to come down. And mm-hmm. the question is, how well you're prepared now and how well you buy now and how well you diversify now is going to keep you you know, floating when the storm comes and then Mm -hmm. where everybody's sinking because they got too freaking cocky or they went to a quick seminar and they thought they knew what the fuck they're doing.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Now they're going to sink. And you know, who's going to take them out? You, because you're going to buy everything for pennies on the dollar. So just the key is partner yourself up with with people that you trust, people that you would want to be and Mm -hmm. people that are going to teach you. I mean, it's just, but go with the attitude of always bring value before you get value. Always bring value. Everybody has value. Everybody has something that they can offer. No matter you think, oh, what can I do? I mean, this guys have everything. No, no. there's always something. Just you need to stop for a second and think, okay, where can I actually you know show my, my potential and mm-hmm. then do it, take action.
1: Of course. So uh, other than signing 10 and 15 year lease with your clients and estimating for 10 plus holding periods for your properties, what else are you looking for or what else are you doing? to prepare or to protect yourself for that inevitable recession that you mentioned that will eventually come?
0: Definitely picking the right tenants. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's key to have the right mix because you have like an old Navy, a Toys R that always oh, not like you want to make sure you pick the right tenants. That's just looking at the metrics when, whenever the last downturn, whenever, you know, we live in a consumer driven economy. You mm-hmm. know, the economy is based out of just people going out and buying shit they don't need, right?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> or
0: services. That's yeah. that's what it is. So yeah, I mean, the the rates are going lower because you know people want you know to have more money, more money to consume, and blah 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 blah. I'm not going to go with the whole economic process, but the best way is like making sure you create those experiential. You know, the, the you know the same way like a good example is you know when you go through a duty free shop, right, in certain yeah. airports around the world, uh-huh. is you know when you go through it is like there's no like different ways to go through it. You have to go through a specific little path, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's purposely done. So you're like, oh, check check this out. Ooh, let me try that. Oh, let me spray this. Mm-hmm. It's purposely done because, you know, it's, it's strategically done that way in the same way you want to do retail. I mean, obviously not create a little path where they can't get out. But I'm just saying <laughs> like you put certain tenants that, you know, they can stay longer. We want them to stay longer, you know, mm-hmm. in the area. Not just a transactional thing. You want mm-hmm. them to stay longer because, oh, okay, you know, I'll go shopping. I'll go and have a coffee, you know, mm-hmm. while, while you do that. Well, I'll go and get my dry cleaners. I'll go let my exercise or, I'll, you know, whatever. So uh, you need
1: to make sure as a landlord that you're able to offer a better experience for your tenants than yeah. the other property owners.
0: And know your markets. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to put an orange theory in some of my properties I have in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. That would be a no-no. I mm-hmm. mean, nobody will fucking pay that amount of money to go exercise. So those more Hispanic markets or something like that. Even if Gilbert comes
1: to you and wants to put an orange theory in that area, you may not immediately agree.
0: I wouldn't say no, but Uh we get all the, obviously we do a background check on if it's not obviously a large corporation, Mm -hmm. we do a lot of background checks, credit checks and everything, because we want to make sure that there's potential. What, what's the worst case scenario? You know, we want to prepare for that, but, if somebody from orange theory is thinking of doing that. Then clearly that person doesn't know what the hell they're doing because mm-hmm. you know, you have to know your demographics, you know, the race, the kind of you know, obviously household income. What is it? Is there a school near nearby? I mean, you know, things like that. So it's same as in any commercial real estate. You have to understand the area like Gilbert, the one we're doing, which is a very, very nice, like yuppie type of area. MSA of Phoenix mm-hmm. is growing like crazy. And, you know, the household income is $87,000, okay. the average, right? Completely mm-hmm. different from our Pasadena ones that are like $40,000 or so. Mm-hmm. So people there, and uh, there we have like an altitude trampoline park, you know, stuff like that, which makes sense. like, shit, a trampoline park? I don't know. I'm a little bit concerned about mm-hmm. that. But if you think about it, there's young families that have kids. Arizona is very hot, right? In the summer, in the spring, you can't really be outside. So that's the whole point. Those things are full. I have one here in Katy and I always take my kids and they're packed. And that's a new way of like this big boxes that close down. Mm-hmm. These guys come in like, hey, let's open a trampoline park, especially warmer places. And man, it's packed. And yeah. it's a lot of fun too. I mean, You're always I thinking about
1: the end consumer, right? Not just about selling to the tenant, but you want the tenant to be successful. Yeah, it has to
0: make sense. It mm-hmm. has to make sense because you can get whoever you want, but then you don't want him to go out of business because yeah. it's not going to help you. Exactly. The biggest thing you want to avoid is a re, like having to release mm-hmm. unexpectedly like we're doing with CCs because it costs a lot of money.
1: Of course, yeah. And this is, again, what keeps you comfortable that in the event of uh, an inevitable recession, you'll be able to sustain through it without a problem because yeah. these tenants that you have are doing well because they they're there because it makes sense for the end consumer and for no yeah. other reason. Yeah.
0: But the cool thing, like, Retail is not just what we do. Like I've been to a breakfast the other day and it's like, you had some people that were actually buying the abandoned shopping malls. So mm-hmm. the enclosed shopping malls, like mm-hmm. with the big JC pennies and all that. Yeah, They're buying for like 24% cap rate. Wow. Because obviously it's just like, nobody's buying that shit.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: But they're making, they're finding ways. And, and I read that some people are converting into affordable housing. Yeah. I've in seen Big that boxes too. and stuff which I think that's fascinating. There's always, there's always, when it seems like it's the end of the world, there's opportunity to rethink. There's evolution. And, and there's transition. Thing. So, yeah. I mean, retail has so many spaces of it. And people say, oh, internet, you know. Yeah, but you know what? Internet needs spaces to do all their boxing and shit like that. So you have the industrial space, you have the self-storage, which is part of the retail as well. Mm-hmm. It works. Or now it's becoming popular, you know, the self-storage that is for refrigerated. For mm-hmm. people, you know, the companies that have fresh products that they deliver. So, man, it's, it's just about, like, trying to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Kind of like while Gary B says, you know, just yeah. hear what's going on right now and you understand what's going to happen. Because you're always thinking ahead. Yeah, you want to think ahead, but the only way you can see what might be coming up is understanding what the patterns are in the present, right? Exactly.
1: So, Absorbing the, observing the end consumer. What are they yeah. doing? And paying more attention to them than to the headlines.
0: Yeah. Because the headlines, I mean, as you say, (laughs) Amazon says, or or Walgreens closed 200 stores. Holy shit. No, retail is crap. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can lose money, don't get me wrong, but I think there's a lot of opportunity. I like it.
1: Excellent. Well, Andy, thank you very much for the information. It's been extremely helpful for me, and I'm I'm very grateful for for all the insight that you've given us. Are you ready for the fire round? I have five quick questions for you to get to know you a little bit better.
0: Andiamo. Let's do it,
1: all right. first question. What's your favorite place to travel to?
0: Oh, uh, man you killed me there. You know I love the world traveling. that's my biggest passion. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to travel to a new place. that would be my favorite place because I don't know it. but I would uh, say my favorite are there in the any world, are
1: there any left that you don't know?
0: Oh, no, there's a lot of places I don't know, but what's I would your say next destination My next destination very likely Israel, maybe February okay. to actually do some real estate okay. opportunities. Wow. But, and then maybe Finland and Christmas to take the, the, my kiddos for Christmas, North Pole.
1: Wow, that's but, awesome. They're going to love it.
0: But Paris will be my favorite city, If let's say a favorite place, for sure.
1: Okay. What's your favorite movie?
0: For many years was Titanic. Okay. <laughs> I know it sounds pretty lame. I, always be, I love the history of Titanic, but I would say definitely, yes, Titanic and City of Angels. I'm a, I'm a romantic inside, I have to say.
1: Wow, I haven't never never seen City of Angels.
0: Yeah, it's a really good movie. Check it out.
1: I will. Perfect. Your favorite book?
0: My favorite book, I would say, for a long time was Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. But I said my top second would be Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Okay. And the fact that I put it next to Rich Dad Poor Dad is a big deal. Okay. If you haven't read Never Split the Difference, it's completely like Jedi mindset changing and even if you have the chance to take his his one day seminar which is very like 30 people or so and you get to be coached by him directly and his son whose son is even better than him in negotiation wow. it's amazing it's expensive it's like 3500 bucks for a day but it's worth every penny man
1: wow i've heard the book been mentioned a lot lately around real estate you need estate. to freaking yeah.
0: order it from amazon uh-huh. or order audio book whatever is easier for you reading or reading or i mean reading or listening it's, yep. it's a no-brainer man it it will blow your mind away
1: perfect yeah i'll get to it right away what's a quote that you live by
0: the one that i, I have it here on my board is as he thinks so he is as he thinks so pretty much so he as is. He th- it actually is as he thinketh it's so an older yeah. english is
1: that that from so as, as a man thinketh yep yeah, that, I've read that one, they're a phenomenal book.
0: That is it's a very quick read, and people say, oh, it's, they're never like, no, that's too much mumbo-jumbo, uh-huh. you know, also universe. But it's not like The Secret or anything like that, but it's... It's a lot more just grounded. Just think about it. I mean, it, it was written like early 20th century. It's old yeah. as hell, but it still makes a lot of sense. And it's a quick read, like it's a small book, and it's good to refresh it every other month
1: yeah it's it's to me it's like the foundation of a lot of what we see now all across the internet like Tony Robbins Jim Rohn like all the most motivational stuff to me this James Allen is like the foundation for yeah. all of this it's a, in a in a very concise like 80 page book or something yeah what's the best lesson that you've learned or the best advice that you've received
0: Normally that people send questions before <laughs> no, um, I, I, any natural answers. I would say the biggest one is, you know, show up and bring value to the table. Perfect. Bring the, don't, don't come with the expectations because expectations can really disappoint you. So yeah. if you come in and you give yourself, and I know it's easy to say it sounds like very, very cliche, but man show up and bring the values to the table and let people just be like, Whoa, you know, that's how you want to show up.
2: Yeah, fantastic. That's answer. how, man.
0: That's how I get. I mean, if I can tell you, if you just say you know how the five people you surround yourself—that whole uh-huh. saying, you know—you become.
2: mm-hmm uh-huh.
0: And if I can just tell you the powerful, the power within that, your relationships, how I completely shifted since I went in the real estate and just mindset changes for the last three, four years. Mm-hmm. Man, I love my friends and all that, but a lot of times on the people that now become really good friends. I mean, just around them, we're talking about people that you know. Oh. Not just the monetarily part. I mean monetarily they're worth millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. But that's just the experiences and you know the influence and just observing as a you know, call it to be mentored, it's key. Mm-hmm. So I, I swear, man, you change your surroundings, you change the people you hang out with, holy shit, that is eventually your mind. You know, it complete like holy crap, you know, you open a layer and like there's so much more there that you never thought.
1: Yeah, I cannot agree more. So you, you probably wouldn't, get, wouldn't have given us such a great answer had you prepared for that.
0: No, but then I c I'm making too long. That's a problem. <laughs> I'm not very black or white.
1: No, but that's great stuff. Andy, well, thank you very much. Lastly, how can people reach you?
0: You can just uh, check me uh, on our website. It's greatpartners, gr8partners.com. And if not, you can listen. If you speak Spanish, or want to learn Spanish, or mm-hmm. would like to be a guest in our podcast, anything related to creating cash flow for your life, reach us at info at elcashflowcafe.com or dot com. And follow me on Facebook, Andrew Kiefer, or you know Instagram, Andy Keefe. And anything you need, just reach out.
1: I'll awesome. be happy
0: to bring value to your table.
1: Awesome, Andy. This has been amazing. Really tremendous value that you've brought here tonight. I can tell that that you're used to speaking and being a host. You did a fantastic job of just walking us through the terms and through basic terms in real estate and of what you do. So I'm sure this is going to bring phenomenal value to many people as it did to me. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you here.
0: The same, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And congrats on this new chapter.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for being a part of it. Bye. Thanks. Bye.